Um, at, at this time of year, every year, we, um, we stop and uh, we express appreciation for people who, who do a lot of work uh, for us. Uh, some of them uh, are paid very little, and some of them are paid less than that. Um, that's kind of the range. Um, and we, we, can't, we can't properly express um, how much we owe these people, and not just these people, but so many more. Um, but we, we try at this time to, to recognize them and express some appreciation. So I'm going to just call some people up. I have a thank you note for them and um, a gift for them uh, from the church. If you could find these people later and thank them personally, um, you know, most of these people take quasi-public roles, and you've probably seen them and, and thanked them to some degree at some point, but make sure you express it very clearly and directly, because um, we are so grateful for uh, these, these leaders. So, um, I've, got, I've got thank you notes for three people who have been leading worship for us, Becky and Allie Marie and Jason. Um, if you guys could come up here. Um, and Jason especially has stepped up in, in, into a kind of a worship director role to step in when, I'll come to you, I'll come down to you, um, when the Taylors left. And, but all of them have, here you go, have served us well and given a lot of time and effort and passion for us. Becky um, paints up here and serves us that way. Um, so thank you so much for what you do for us um, not just, I know it's not just on Sunday morning, but a lot of time and preparation. So thank you. I appreciate it. <clears throat> um, Sam Shirey makes everything audible here on Sunday morning. And not just that, he pays all of our bills. Uh, so that's kind of important, and those things probably each individually deserve recognition and appreciation, but he does both of them um, with nobody filling in for him ever on either account. So he is a man of surpassing joy and worth. So Sam, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Just toss this out. And Allie makes our coffee every week. Arguably the most important job in this church. So thank you to both of the Shireys. We would literally die without you. Um, Jen Fraser has um, done a lot of things that you've probably seen and maybe not noticed, which is great. Um, because our website works and things like this appear and you get emails, and these things just seem normal now, but they weren't normal before. Jen has really stepped up and taken care of these things for us, so we have this for you. Um, I should have appointed a runner for this, like a relay. Thank you very much. Um, Where's this one? Okay. Matt and Katie Duke. 
Yeah. Um, they, they are staff for us, and we should quintuple their salary, octuple, I don't know. Um, there's, I don't even know how many kids they take care of, and uh, Katie's not even up here. It's really Katie that should be. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's the, Matt, Matt's muscle and, and backup, but it's Katie, really. Um, that pours her heart into caring for our kids. And she doesn't just say like, how do we logistically make this happen? But she cares about forming the hearts of our children towards Jesus. And Matt doesn't care about that at all. Um, (laughs) But really, both of them serve our children so well. Um, If you, for some reason, fail to show up when you're supposed to teach, uh, you got sick or something and couldn't find a sub, um, it's probably Matt that has gone back in there and filled in for you. So he honestly does care about the kids. But um, we're so grateful to both of you, and we can never properly express it. So here's a little try. We love you. Um, Jeremiah, um, we, we created his position explicitly to get stuff done. That was pretty much his prerogative. And uh, Jeremiah does. He is here every Sunday morning doing things before a lot of people are even dressed um, to come to church. He is at pretty much every session meeting. Um, almost everything that we decide to do is followed by me looking at Jeremiah on my right and saying, okay, now how do we do this? And can you make sure this happens? And um, it's... And it's not just that. He thinks about this stuff all the time. He's reading books all the time, listening to podcasts all the time. Jeremiah asks to meet with me all the time because he's thinking about Valley Hope all the time. He's poured out his life for this church, and we have, we have benefited greatly. So thank you. And he really loves public recognition, so make sure you especially talk to Jeremiah. <laughs> Speech! Uh, finally, this is, uh, this is both a, a thank you uh, and an announcement of sorts. Um, just about a year ago-ish, I met with Daniel Lancaster uh, for his member interview, and he mentioned to me, I asked him what I ask, or I try to ask every new member uh, is there a way that you'd like to serve the church, um, bring your gifts to the table? And he said, um, you know, if, if there's ever going to be a youth ministry that started, I'd like to help out with that. And my eyes just sort of lit up, and I was like, guess what you're doing? <laughs> you're starting a youth ministry, you yourself. Um, and for the past uh, eight months, he has, not by himself, with others, has been a part of starting that here and we can see in these eight months real fruit from his work. Um, there are six to eight middle schoolers who regularly show up at the stuff that Daniel is doing, and that didn't exist before. And if you uh, go back there, you know that there are like dozens of potential middle schoolers coming down the corridors of time, and Daniel with his wife, Emily, 
have given of their time and their effort and their heart to serve and love on our kids. And you know why? Because they love Jesus and they love the kids of Valley Hope. That was it. Um, Daniel will tell you he does not feel super competent um, like uh, the poster boy youth worker, but he's doing it because he loves Jesus and he loves our youth. And uh, as the session has looked at him and talked about him, um, we decided to um, ask him to fill the position that we budgeted for for this coming year. So Daniel is going to be our first youth director, as it were, um, and we are really happy that he's going to do that. So we're thankful for the work that you've already done, and we're excited about uh, what's coming for us. So thank you very much. You can have this. <clears throat> and next year, I'm going to make him preach a little bit, too, and he's going to lead worship. So really... Bang for your buck, you know? That's what I'm saying. All right, turn to Isaiah 61. During this season of Advent, um, I, I really, I decide to to take to the lectionary. Um, if you know what the lectionary is, it's a, it's a prescribed calendar of, of reading and uh, preaching texts that people throughout the church at large, the body of Christ, will use. Um, many churches will only use the lectionary to decide what they preach on on Sunday mornings. Um, and I, I just use it for seasons uh, generally, but Advent, I almost always stick to the lectionary during Advent. Um, and so this, this was the the lectionary reading uh, was in Isaiah 61 today, and um, just before I, I came up here, Rick King asked that uh, we remember Andrew Brunson uh, in prayer today. And Andrew Brunson, if you don't remember, is a, he's a teaching elder that's been ordained in the EPC, and he's been ministering in Turkey, and last year was um, arrested on totally fake charges and is being held um, as a bargaining chip. Um, Erdogan, the authoritarian leader there, is pretty transparently using him as a bargaining chip to, to get uh, a favored cleric of his out of jail from here. And um, our government does not particularly feel like um, engaging in that trade, because this is a bad guy that we have in our jail. Um, so Andrew Brunson then has been in prison for 14 months. I think that's right. We're, we're going, going on 15. Um, so Rick asked me to remind you of that. And it's entirely appropriate that Isaiah 61 is our reading. Um, so as we read this, hear the word of the Lord and hear it in light of our brother who's in prison, um, our sisters and brother in Christ who have their husband and father in jail. Um, this, is, this is what Jesus said he came to do. 
The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified, or as the New English translation says, that his splendor may be, be revealed. They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in the land they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are in offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Would you pray with me? Lord God, we listened to this word from the prophet Isaiah, which was then read and quoted by Jesus. And we ask that our hearts would be soft, that we might hear the word of the Lord spoken by the Lord. God, we pray that we would see you as the, the deliverer ha, that has arrived and that is yet arriving. We pray that our hearts would be situated and habituated to the kingdom that has come and is already coming. Jesus, we pray for our brother Andrew Brunson who is looking at the prospect of a second Christmas in prison because he bears the name of Jesus and because he has the wrong kind of passport. He's being used as a bargaining chip. God, we pray that you would set that captive free. 
We pray, God, that you would work his deliverance. And God, we, we ask that you would do it in whatever way you please. We pray, God, that your praise would shake open the gates of his jail cell. That he would walk out unharmed. Father, we pray that while he is yet in chains, that his heart would be unburdened. Pray, God, that you would renew him in life. As he sits waiting expectantly, as he is in the midst of perpetual Advent season, we pray, God, that you would confirm to him that hope is surely going to be fulfilled. Anoint him with gladness, God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that our hearts would also be fixed on you, that our own hearts would be healed as we look to you and to your coming. We thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. This, um, this, this passage, Isaiah 61, um, is one of the passages that gets pulled back in the New Testament um, quite explicitly. The, the Gospels are laden with prophetic imagery um, and occasionally with prophetic quotations. And this is one that gets explicitly quoted um, by Jesus, where he takes his turn reading in the synagogue in Luke 4, and he takes his turn and he pulls this passage and he, he reads this, the beginning of this prophetic chapter and he tells the people that this passage is fulfilled in their hearing, um, which the people are not delighted at hearing from him. And what they do with him then is try to kill him. Um, when the Gospels, when the New Testament is quoting from the Old Testament uh, or alluding to the Old Testament, they're often intending that the reader would read the whole chunk that the quotation comes from and keep the whole passage in mind. It's this literary device that they use. So, for example, when Jesus quotes Psalm 22 on the cross, when he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not just pulling a specific verse from Psalm 22. He's calling, the Gospels are calling us to read all of Psalm 22 and to remember what exactly Jesus is saying. A similar principle here applies, that Jesus reads a few verses, or possibly more, but the first few verses are, are what's recorded. And we're meant as readers to look at all of this chapter, Isaiah 61, and to remember and see what Jesus is claiming and appropriating for himself as the mission of God in the world. This is the mission, he says, that's being fulfilled in his own life. Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. And this is an interesting um, twisting together 
uh, this tying together of several different themes that somehow all make sense and only make sense together. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor is also to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. And as readers, modern readers, comfortable readers who often have very little to grieve over, uh, it seems like these two ideas should not go together. Uh, That it is the year of the Lord's favor and the day of judgment and wrath. How could the coming of God uh, mean both favor and vengeance at the same time? And it's, because, it's confusing because we fail to see all this group of people that the prophecy starts out with. And we speak to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to the captive, and to those who are bound. And I think that at this Advent season, it is uh, in, so appropriate to stop and to watch what's going on in the world and to see these people. Because this is a class of people that is kept out of sight. Intentionally out of sight. I was, um, I was talking with a friend from college yesterday, uh, Adam Ripley. I went to college with him. And he started uh, this ministry called Least of These Ministries in Asheville that survived him. Um, but when he started it, he just wanted to feed homeless people. And so he just went downtown and fed homeless people. Novel idea, um, novel approach. He would go early in the morning on Saturday mornings as a college student and make lots and lots of pancakes and bacon and have hot coffee and um, cracked dozens and dozens and dozens of eggs um, the night before. And uh, he he gave of his life to do this and carried a heavy burden by himself in a lot of ways. But it's lived on um, beyond him. But we talked about how he, he set up in Pritchard Park, you know, where the drum circle is in downtown Asheville. And very quickly, the city decided, we don't want homeless people congregating on a Saturday morning in Asheville. We don't want that in the middle of the city because homeless people are dirty and uncomfortable and icky. And so they would actively uh, were forcing him and ultimately Adam had to find a, a parking lot from a private organization, from a church that would let him be there instead of being in the middle of town. Why? Because people don't want to see the poor. They don't want to see the homeless. Asheville City and probably many of their residents and businesses there, for some reasons that we can understand, say we don't want to have this interrupting our day. So let's hide poverty. Hide homelessness. Um, By nature, being in captivity means you are out of sight. Um, That's kind of the whole purpose of prison, is that you are isolated and removed. Andrew Brunson, I've not not seen him. Um, I don't think anybody here has seen him. Nobody has seen him, is the point. 
So by definition, captivity happens elsewhere, out of sight. And the, the binding, the bondage that Isaiah speaks of is something that is also a hidden thing because the bound ones are not the ones walking about the streets because they can't, because they're bound. So we come to Advent season and somehow the world lights up with life and possibilities and friendliness and cheer and magic or whatever. And everything can seem right with the world. But that's mostly because everything that's wrong with the world is what we hide and we try not to see. Actively trying not to see is not going to make us better experience the true spirit of Jesus' coming because everything that we try to hide is exactly the place where Jesus comes to be. Jesus comes for the poor and the bound and the imprisoned and the brokenhearted. And this is actually the nature of what God is doing in the world in the coming of Jesus in the incarnation and finally in His fullest coming when He comes in power again. When God looks at the world, He sees the world both as it is and as it was meant to be. And we have no real collective clear understanding of the way the world is meant to be. What we have is basically just echoes and, and leftover longings. Longing for something that many of us can't, can't even put a name to. It takes the people who are hidden to remind us of what actually the world should be like. When we isolate ourselves from the poor, from the homeless, we hide away the reminder that God sends to us that He intends for all people to bear the image of God with equal dignity and that He does not parcel out His love to those who are well-dressed in greater measure than the ones who haven't showered in far too long. When, when we hide away and forget the captive, we actually hide away and forget the reminders that God has sent that He intends the people of this world to live under the beauty of His rule and to be free under the, the reign of authority established by His authority. You know, sometimes people are captive because of their own choice. They deserve to be imprisoned. And some people like Andrew Brunson are made captive for no good reason at all. And both of those categories still serve to remind us of a world where Jesus is king and people are free because they are free from the power of sin. They're free from the power of ungodly authority. When we hide away what binds us, when we hide away those who are bound, we hide away the people that God uses to tell us that He's 
come to give the healing of the nations. He is the consolation of all that mourns in the world. So, see, our instinct is to hide away the things that make us uncomfortable, hide away that which is painful, hide away that makes us feel maybe even icky inside. But when we hide away or intentionally ignore these classes of people, we hide away what God is doing in the world. What we need, actually, to be Advent people is to look at the state of the world the way that it really is. To stare it full in the face. And in this Advent season, not buy into the temptation to believe that all is cheery and merry and bright, but instead to see that light shines in the midst of very dark surroundings. Our world has much brokenness and darkness in it. Denial about that is neither healthy nor godly. No, I... What was this? Thursday. I think it was Thursday. Thursday was the fifth anniversary of the shooting in Sandy Hook. And... It's been five years, and I let myself forget that. And as I looked at the pictures of these victims as they were healthy and happy and smiling and realizing that all of these people are gone, my heart was just broken again. Five years has gone by so quickly and piled away every shred of mourning. You know, there, there are people who at this time in their life are especially aware of all that they have lost in the world. Family, friends, relationships. And right now, people feel their poverty and feel remarkably out of place. I'm not supposed to feel this way. The spirit of a consumeristic Christmas says, that is out of place. Don't think about that. Think about the cheer and the red and the green and find some way to be happy with the lights that you plug in. But the spirit of Advent says, now is the right time to mourn what you have lost. Whether you have lost it because of death, or because you have lost it because of sin, or because of relational fracturing, Advent is the time to look at all that you have lost and to mourn. It is entirely appropriate for Caleb and Liz to stand up here and to say, this is what Advent is about. They are literally longing for fulfillment, for this emptiness to be answered. 
And we, we look at them and many like them and we say that the world is not meant to be this way. To carry so much pain and heartache. The spirit of Christmas says, find some way to be happy. And the spirit of Advent says, bring your mourning to Jesus. There is a, there is a, a deep keening sense to this season. We, we kind of reserve this longing and mourning for now. It's why our tables are not clothed in green and red. They are clothed in purple. Purple is traditionally the color of royalty. And what we are doing in this season is we are longing for the King to come. We are longing for the King who says, this is the mantle that I have taken up. This is the purpose for which I have been anointed, set apart, consecrated. This is the reason that I come. And Isaiah makes it clear that God comes to bring healing to those who are broken and to glorify Himself by showing that this is what He is about. He says He comes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion. Give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. This is a picture of a priestly turban. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. That they may be called oaks of righteousness. The planting of the Lord that reveals His splendor. God does not hide away the poor, the captive, the bound, the brokenhearted. But it says the poor, the captive, the bound, and the brokenhearted are the very place where God intends to come and stake His reputation. These people. And it may be you who has hidden your boundness. That God is actually coming to you this Advent to stake His reputation on crowning you with life. And I wish that I could tell you that this means that everything is going to be fine right now. That is not our understanding of the way that time is. We believe and understand that we live in a collision of two time periods where God has already come, the future is already here, and yet the past is very much among us. The light has come and shone in the darkness, but the darkness very much is real. And many of us, most of us, maybe all of us, feel the realities of that collision of time. How many among us would say that there is secret captivity and boundedness and pain, brokenheartedness, things that you have hidden away? But you and I 
feel this loss because we were made for a different kind of world. And God is coming to set this world up the way it meant, it's meant to be. And all the ways that you hate the way that the world is, all the ways that you hate that you've experienced loss, all the ways that you hate that right now in this season you are deeply sad, all the ways that you read the news and are mad that the world is this way, God is coming not just to heal what has been broken, but to bring vengeance. The message, this twin message that God comes to comfort the brokenhearted and to bring vengeance is an honoring of the grief of His people. God comes both to heal the brokenhearted and to crush what has broken them. Advent is about expectation and longing and mourning. But it is also about the firm confidence that God hates what has harmed His world. The powers of darkness that live inside of us and afflict us from the outside. The way that death has robbed us of loved ones the way that too many of us have empty spots at the table, God hates that more than we do. So He comes as King to ride in to bring both healing and vengeance. We are people who long for the healing King to come. And we are people who asks that the God of justice would come in and deal with this robbery that he hates. It says here, I, the Lord, love justice, and I hate robbery and wrong. And we, his people, we, his people, who in some sense still yet wait for this exile to be over, we cheer God on. Come and bring this justice that you love. And come and crush this robbery that you hate. Jesus comes, brings this message. I am the one who will fulfill this message in Isaiah 61. And then Jesus does all of this. His friends are the despised and the rejected ones, the ones that should be hidden away. The leper, the criminal, he brings them close. And it seems like his reputation is tarnished. That's what the people looking on the outside are saying. You can't hang with these people. They will ruin your reputation. And Jesus again and again says, I'm staking my reputation with these people. So he takes the Samaritan, he takes the unclean woman, he takes all of these rejected classes of people and he brings them closer to him and honors them with his presence and heals them. And then ultimately, what does he do? He occupies the most rejected place, the most despised 
shameful place that can be occupied in his society, that he is crucified naked in the most vile, purposefully, publicly shameful way that is possible. It is not necessarily the pain of Jesus' death that is remarkable. It is the public shame of it. It is meant to be embarrassing. And we, who have hidden away all of our embarrassments, are somehow surprisingly rescued by the God who would become the shameful one. And when Jesus does that, He clothes us in His dignity and glory. When His robe is taken away and split up and divided in this gambled way, these guys who are gambling for His robe, in some sense His robe is cast off and we are the beneficiaries of the rending of that garment. Jesus becomes the shameful one that we have hidden away that we might no longer have to be hidden before God. Jesus' life and His death and His resurrection are what we look back to and say, this is the God who has revealed His glory for people like me, who has hidden all of my shamefulness, all of the ways that I've been imprisoned and bound and afflicted. And this is the God whom we look forward to, is the God who will finish the job. All of the longings that we have will be superseded in the fulfillment that God offers. This Advent season, I'd invite you for the next eight days to embrace Advent. Seven days of Advent, eight days from now is Christmas. So seven days, lean in to the longing in the morning. Read Isaiah 61 as what is coming down the pipe to you. has been given in down payment, but as what is coming. All the ways, list them. Talk about them with one another. Write it down. The things that you mourn Look at that list. Sit with it. And hear what God says in Isaiah 61. I, the Lord, love justice. And I hate robbery. I am coming to clothe you in righteousness. All the ways that you've been marked in grief. I will mark you with joy. Lean in to longing. Christmas is a feast day, and it is not here yet. This is Advent. And we look towards the coming of Jesus with a hunger that we hope grows until we are fully satisfied. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we we crave You. We crave fulfillment in You. 
God, we pray that our appetites would be corrected. We pray that we would rightfully mourn what should be mourned. And God, we pray for everyone in our midst that is experiencing deeper sorrow than us. We pray, God, that this would be a place where people would be free and open with their loss, their loss and their grieving, and that we would be a people who lament what is lamentable. And we would tell each other with tears in our eyes, confidence in our voice that Jesus is yet coming. We pray, God, that we would be uh, captured by the spirit of Advent, not the spirit of Christmas. That we would not go too fast, that we would not skip this season. God, I pray that we would see you as the beautifully revealed, crucified God. Help us, God, to not hide away in darkness which should be brought into the light. And make us a people that are more like you, who are more willing to make their home with the poor and the despised. Glorify yourself, Jesus, in and with us. People might see you and see your remarkable generosity and grace. They might see that you love justice and that you hate robbery and that you will absolutely do something about it. We thank you that today is the acceptable day the Lord's, of the Lord's favor. Pour it out, Lord Jesus. Amen.